Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Good morning. You may have a seat. I was speaking to a friend recently who had just celebrated 12 years of marriage. He was talking about how it was, and he said this phrase that I thought was so interesting. He said, this 12 years of, of marriage has been hard, but good. Now, I think a lot of people who are married can understand that phrase. It's been hard, but good. But it's such a fascinating paradox. This, this guy that I'm talking about has four children, and the oldest is in kindergarten. He's had some serious health problems. And he's not saying those things have been good. He's saying it has been hard to work through all that because sometimes when life is difficult, you just want to focus on yourself. But it's been good. And that's such a fascinating paradox to me because I don't think we ever think of things as being both good and hard. You don't ever talk to someone and say, hey, uh, how was your vacation? Oh, it was real hard. You don't say, oh, that's great to hear. You'd be like, what happened? That doesn't sound great. How's life been? Oh, it's been hard. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. Companies don't advertise, hey, this new product is now less convenient and more difficult. Oh, I'm going to run out and buy one of those. That's not how we think of life. But we do get what he's saying. To put in the work to learn to adjust your expectations, to learn to value and and, and honor your spouse, even when it's not the easiest thing in the world. The result of all that hard stuff is good. It is good. We get that. I think it's fair to say that a good life will also be difficult. Now, this is hard because everybody in the room, I know that, I know life is hard. Everybody talks about that. But we will slide out of here with the assumption that it should be easy. And if it is hard, there must be something wrong with my life. God must not care about me. I must not be experiencing his blessings. Something is wrong. Even if we know that that's not true, I think it's in our culture that has almost hardwired us from birth to think that if something is hard, it can't be good. But Jesus said something similar. In fact, Jesus said many things very similar to that. But we're just going to look at one today. And it's in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him. This is right after he told Peter to get behind him, get behind me, Satan, because Peter was saying, hey, don't talk about all that death stuff. He said, hey, get behind me, Satan. Then he calls the crowd to him. and He goes, I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. This is very important. Whoever wants to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and you have to take up your cross and you have to follow me. And then he states a fact. This is not a command. This is not an aphorism. This is not a nice saying that you're going to post on Instagram. This is a fact of how God created the world to be. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. This is a hard truth. However, if you lose your life for me and for the gospel, you will save it. There's so much we could dig into, but I just really want to kind of encapsulate everything he's saying with this one two-word phrase where Jesus says, deny yourself. 
Deny yourself. You've read these verses before. You're aware of them. But that is a pretty direct statement. And I guarantee you that most of us, if we're giving it any second of serious thought this morning, we're running through several objections in our mind. Now, a lot of us were probably thinking, ah, yeah, sure, some Christians have to give up their lives for Jesus. Some, but those are kind of the extreme Christians. That's the varsity team of Christians. They have to work really hard to get to the Christian Olympics. But us average Christians, that's not how it works for us. That can't be right. For example, most of you have probably heard of a missionary, a young missionary, 28-year-old missionary named Jim Elliott. You've probably heard that name. He felt he was called to the Hurani people who lived in the rainforests of Honduras. And so there wasn't, weren't roads you could get to. You had to actually learn how to fly a plane. This is their dedication to the mission. You had to learn how to fly a plane. You had to get your pilot's license. You had to find a plane. You had to convince some people to go with you. And they flew this plane and they landed it on the river banks in the rainforests of Honduras to these people that had never heard the gospel before. Pretty, pretty impressive. And uh, I think we're thinking, okay, yeah, <laughs> those kinds of Christians, they're the ones who maybe have to sacrifice a ton. That's, that's not me. I'm not called to that. In fact, the story goes, they've made movies, they've written books, Beyond the Gates of Splendor, The End of the Spear. You've probably heard of some of these things about this story. They landed, here's uh, several of the men, there were five of them talking to two of the indigenous peoples there, and uh, they felt like they had made some good contact. They left, they came back the next day, and they were ambushed and they were all killed. All five men were killed. And then their wives went in to also continue the mission work. And you're like, whoa, that is pretty wild. It's a great story. But I think a lot of us will think, yeah, okay, yes. Deny yourself if you're Jim Elliott and these five other guys. Sure, then you deny yourself. But it's, you know, so what we're saying is Jesus says deny self. And we're saying, oh, that's not what he really means. Excuse me, Jesus, I'm just going to scoot past this command right here. I'm just going to move on over to the other side because that can't be what you really mean. Not for me. Not for my life, not in 21st century modern America. It's not really about denial. But what if? What if Jesus actually meant that for you? In your life, in your current circumstances, what if he actually meant that if you want to follow him, you have to deny yourself? Me and uh, Liam went and watched the new Mario movie. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Now, I am a trailer guy, meaning those clips of you see of upcoming movies before the movie plays. If I'm going to miss the trailers, I will not go to the movie. That's how important it is to me. That's part of the movie-going experience. So don't be late. In fact, Liam and I got there 30 minutes before the movie opened, and we were just sitting there in an empty theater by ourselves eating popcorn. We got a refill on our popcorn before the trailers even started. That's how I am. And generally, they play trailers in keeping with the movie that you're watching. So you're probably not going to see a scary horror movie if you're watching the Mario Brothers movie. So they're playing other children's movies. Now, there's this new kids movie coming out. It's the biggest name in kids movies. It's going to make probably hundreds of millions of dollars. And then the trailer, the main character is struggling in their relationship with their parent. Their parent has expectations and the, the child doesn't know how to live up to them. And there's this tension and you're thinking, there's so many wonderful dramas that have been built around the reconciliation of a parent and child. I mean, Finding Nemo, right? Or Little Mermaid, or I mean, Empire Strikes Back, where Luke discovers that Darth Vader is his father. And now there's a complicated relationship. So you're like, oh, cool. They're gonna tap into that drama 
drama. Interesting. I'm excited. And then in the trailer, the character says something like, I just don't know how to get along with my dad. Something like that. You know, my dad wants me to do this. There's some, I don't, don't quote me. I don't remember exactly. And then another character in the movie who's giving counsel to this main character says, why would you let anybody tell you what you can do or who you can be? And I'm like, whoa, wait a second, hang on. This is about a child-parent conflict, and I, as the parent, am paying money. Why would I bring my child to a movie to get bad advice about how to resolve a child-parent conflict? What are you doing, nameless company, that might be making movies for children? Why would you, why would you do that? Why does anyone else, implying the dad, get to tell you what to do with your life? See, Jesus says, deny yourself. Christians say, ah, that means the real serious Christians, but not me. But the world says, no, do not deny yourself. Define yourself. Who you are, it's just buried deep inside you. And you need to cast off the expectation of those horrible, oppressive parents so that you can find the true you inside and live out your inner essence. Now, I, the charitable interpretation, the movie's not out, whatever, maybe it's going to be a great movie and I'll have to walk all this back. The charitable interpretation is something like, hey, people don't truly love you or don't truly value you. That's okay to, to cast off their poor expectations. Maybe that's what the movie's going to say. But what I got out of that trailer seems to be the prevailing message in our culture today. To define yourself, don't let anybody who disagrees with you, tell you what to think, what to do, even if they love you, even if they birthed you, even if they protected you and provided for you. Don't give them any inch in your life. You define yourself. That's, that's how it seems to be. And that, I could be misinterpreting that. I don't know. In 1943, Abraham Maslow, you've heard this, he created the, the idea of the hierarchy of needs. And he just looks like such a pleasant guy, doesn't he? Just such a nice guy. This hierarchy of needs, he never had the, the actual triangle, but you've seen this. So you have all the lower needs, right? You need, you need the physiological, you need food, you need sleep, but then you also need safety. You need to, to feel like you have some financial margin. You need to feel like you have some time to yourself and you work up this list, right? As you get through the love and belonging and esteem. And at the very top of this is self-actualization. This is in 1943, he came out with this. He came out with this idea that once we just climb the pinnacle of needs, we'll get to the top and we'll achieve self-actualization. Now, he said self-actualization, this is his definition, is the tendency for the individual to become more and more of what one is. Now, he's a smart guy. But to become more and more, that if you really want success, personal fulfillment in life, well, then you just work, you become more and more of who you are. And so you hear this message of Christianity where Jesus says, deny yourself. That's almost in, in contrast to what we're hearing in popular culture today. Now, that's 1943. Maslow maybe has changed up his ideas in, in, in the subsequent years. But if, if define yourself is our current cultural orthodoxy. If that is what our culture is saying, you need to be true to yourself, define yourself, is cultural orthodoxy. Then to deny yourself is cultural heresy. 
denying yourself not only is bad advice, it's the opposite of what you should do. That's the messaging, generally speaking, that we're hearing in popular culture today. That's the messaging I'm, I'm sensing, that I'm watching out for, that I want my children to watch out for. If define yourself is real freedom, then to deny yourself is oppression. And to listen to voices that say deny yourselves is to give in to oppressive voices. By some measure, we're 80 years or so into this cultural experiment of self-actualization. And the good news is, now that we have all these basic things like food and sleep and safety, you just notice that our whole entire culture is just incredibly happy all the time. We're more healthy and wealthy than we have ever been as a society. And we are less happy than we have ever been. Is it possible that the define yourself mantra is maybe wrong? Is that possible? Is it possible that Jesus was right when he said, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, you will find it. Is that possible that he's right? Hmm. Interesting. But I think there's more objections we have to wrestle with. More objections. Um, cooking. Cooking totally mystifies me. Um, I don't understand it at all. And I know it's one of those things, it's like math, where people are like, it just makes sense. I'm like, it doesn't make sense. I'm so sorry. This week, I made myself a frozen pot pie that I had brought in for lunch. And I put it in the oven and heated it up and somehow managed to burn the exterior and the interior was frozen. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how I did that. Did you follow the instructions, Patrick? No, I didn't follow the instructions because how complex can it be? You've just got to heat this thing up, right? Yeah, that might be the issue. Every once in a while, I'll think this. I'll think, okay, you know what? Hidden inside me is a true, uh, true cook, you know, Ratatouille, Gordon Ramsay. Hidden inside me is this person that can really cook, and I just got to let that person out. And so I'll get a recipe book down from the shelf, and I'm like, I'm going to make my family something delicious. And I'll open the recipe book, and it'll be like, okay, make sure you whisk the eggs and put them in the bowl, and then add the milk. And I'm like, that seems like too many steps. It'd be simpler just to do it all at once, and we'll just whisk it real quick. And it never comes out right. And again, you're sitting there thinking like, well, you didn't follow the instructions, Patrick. That's true. I did not follow the instructions because they seemed dumb to me. And the result <laughs> that I got was not good. It just never is good. Submitting to the recipe will just hold me back. It will just pin me down. It won't let me be my true self. It won't lead to the results I want if I submit to the recipe. No. Submitting to the recipe gets you the results that you want. Submitting to God, submitting to Christ, that won't lead to happiness. I won't really feel fulfilled. I won't feel like I've achieved anything in life because I'm letting some outside divine authority hold me back. A recipe is not intended to stifle our inner creativity. It's intended to produce the desired result. Self-denial is not intended to stifle who God created you to be. 
He designed you. The Psalms wrote that he knit you in your mother's womb. Do you think he's now trying to take all that away from you? Or is he trying to give you freedom and help you understand that the path toward real life is through death, through self-denial? See, self-denial would instantly solve so many of my problems. It would. Every single time I have ever gotten angry, it's because someone crossed the self in me. Every single time. Someone hurt the pride or the self, the ego in me. Every time I have lied and gotten myself in greater trouble, I've done it to try to make myself look better. This lie will lead to happiness. And it doesn't. It, It never does. Just about everything that I've done that I regret, I was the one who made the decision to do it. Why would I keep listening to myself? Why don't I try the way Jesus is advocating? Hey, crowd, gather together. Come on, let's listen up. Listen up. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to find, or if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, you will find it. Maybe Jesus was right. Maybe he was right. The final objection that we want to wrestle with is if I deny myself, people are going to take advantage of me. People are going to take advantage of me. And this is an important, this is really important. Uh, Some of you have been sitting here thinking this objection the whole time. And, and we got to talk about it. Some, so someone came up to me and said, I can't do what that verse uh, says to do. Well, well, why not? Well, because there's too many people that will exploit us and abuse us in the world. And I am not opening myself up to exploitation and abuse, no matter who tells me to do it. There's too many people in the world that will just treat me like a welcome mat and use me. If I just say I deny myself and I give in to other people and just allow them to tell me what to do, then I'm just opening myself up to abuse. Well, and I understand that. I mean, if somebody is in an abusive relationship and and they get counsel like this, that's bad counsel, by the way. If they say, well, hey, yeah, I know it's not good, and I know they're mistreating you, and I know things aren't good, but you just need to keep taking it because Jesus said deny yourself, that's bad advice. It's important that we understand that. But Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, he calls the crowd to him along with his disciples, but notice who he says to follow. He doesn't say follow anyone, do anything. Remember, in this whole series, we've been talking about the fact that Jesus is our king. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. Don't just say anybody can treat me any way and do anything and ask anything of me. He's saying, follow me. What do I say? What am I asking you? I just finished uh, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Many of you have probably read it. Uh, He's pretty impressive, uh, and I'm gonna read this quote in just a second. He's a pretty impressive person because he's this this Jewish man in Austria in 1938 or 39, and he's a psychologist, and of course he's rounded up and he's put in the concentration camps himself. And because he's a psychologist, he starts thinking about this concentration camp experience from the, the point of psychology. And by the way, just, 
little aside, Frankel thought Maslow's hierarchy of needs was garbage because he said all the things had been taken away from me. I didn't need these things to find meaning and self-actualization because they had all been taken away and I still found meaning and actualization. But this is his quote. He says, uh, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others. Concentration camp comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. What if Jesus was serious that the path to life is through self-denial? The way to him is through self-denial. Uh, I want to share a tough story about my grandfather. I actually called my mom and aunt. This is my mom and aunt when they were just little, 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 little. And I think that one's my mom. <laughs> and there's my grandfather. He was probably 26 or 27 uh, at the time of this picture. And uh, my grandparents were both Christian. Both had gone to Bible college uh, for a time. And uh, when my mom and her sister, the two oldest, were about six years old, my grandfather began to leave the family. And I say begin to leave the family because he would leave for a couple weeks at a time, and then it was a couple months at a time. And he would always have some excuse. Uh, the family was poor, and he would say he was going hunting, but hunting for months and never sent anything back. And they didn't have anything. My mom said a lot of their meals when they were little, and they didn't realize this wasn't supposed to be this way, were just rice, just rice. <laughs> and that was it. And breakfast would be rice and some milk and sugar. And they just, they just didn't have anything. And my grandfather was in the process. Again, they didn't know it at the time. He was in the process of leaving them, abandoning them. Uh, there was one story that I'll, I'll share with you that he worked at a mill, and this is in Sweet Home, Oregon, worked at a lumber mill and Friday was payday and they didn't have anything in the cupboards. And he didn't come home after work. And my grandmother, who didn't have a license and didn't have a uh, job, was getting a little worried. So she found a neighbor to drive her around town to see if they could find him, wondering if something had happened. Well, they found him. He was at a bar, wasn't a drinker, but he was at a bar eating a nice meal with just himself, with the kids and the wife at home with nothing. But finally, when they were nine, uh, he just never came back. That was it. They were nine years old and he was gone. And this was in uh, the late 50s, early 60s when people didn't get divorced. And my grandmother didn't have a job, didn't have a license, just never came back. Now you can call it what you want, what he did. What he chose to do, he didn't want to be tied down. He wanted to follow his heart. He wanted to self-actualize. He wanted to define himself. You can call it that. But this is what we're talking about here. It's not some Instagram post. It's not some movie where everything works fine when people just do what they want to do and it's all great because they found their inner essence. Defining ourselves and living for ourselves leads to ruin and destruction in other people's lives and our own. See, this is the ugly side of that cultural message that we're wrestling with. We're never presented with this. 
We're never presented with this example of how sin and defining oneself, what it really does. We're presented with the happy message where everything works out at the end and then the credits roll. We're never presented with the reality. I tried to make a list of every place in scripture that said something like deny self. And uh, I finally stopped because it was basically everything in scripture. It was just everywhere, everywhere. Uh, The authors of scripture usually worded it like this, like Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's amazing. It's no wonder, and this is important, church, it's no wonder that the Christian life, your Christian life, begins with a funeral service. That's what baptism is. It's your funeral service saying, this version of me is done and it is gone and I am burying them and I am rising to walk in newness of life. It's how the Bible defines baptism over and over and over again. We are buried with him through baptism, Paul says, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, which we talked about last week, we too may live a new life. No wonder it starts that way. The Christian life starts with the funeral. Jim Elliott, that missionary who died about 24 hours into his on-the-ground mission work. He has one of the greatest quotes of all time. You've heard it. It's become a cliche, but I have a screenshot of his, uh, his diary where he wrote right there in the middle, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Isn't that good? To lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, then you will find it. I want to tell you one more thing about my grandfather. When he was 59 years old, he repented. This is a picture of uh, him and Taya, our oldest, who's a sophomore in college now. And he was able to re-enter our family's life. You know, was there difficulty and damage? And yes, but there is also, this is important, there's also redemption. There's also redemption. And he lived out the remainder of his life, faithful to my now step-grandmother, and faithful to the church. There is, there is a redemption arc. That is a possibility. That is, that is a reality that, that, that we have to understand. There was a cost, but there was a way back. The real conflict for, for us right this morning, the real thing that's going on in your brain, it is not a conflict between Jesus versus atheism or disbelief. It's a conflict between Jesus and apathy, or Jesus and kind of trying to do what I want to do. Jesus and trying to integrate the message of the world into this Christian life. That's the real conflict. And a lot of us have existed so much of our lives, never really truly having denied ourselves. We were baptized, but we weren't buried because we didn't, we didn't give it up. We didn't give that old way up. And we kept that old way and it kept causing problems and it kept causing problems. And at some point we're gonna have to be like my grandpa where he literally said to the preacher when he decided to get it right, he says, okay, now I'm gonna do the right thing. He knew it, he knew he wasn't. And I think that's where we need to be, church. We all have to come to that moment. But at some point in your life, you are gonna be confronted with the reality that you have to die to self. 
There is no other way to truly live. That is the gospel message. You have to die to self. We're going to sing a song in closing. I'm going to invite the praise team back up on stage. Maybe I'll stay up here and help Paul sing. But um, because I love this song. I think this song is worth singing out because it's called the goodness of God. And I think the, I don't know, the funny, it's not right to call it funny. But the funny thing is that we think we're running from oppression. And what we discover is that we're running from goodness. When we flee from repentance, we're fleeing from true freedom. When we run away from conviction, we're running away from love. I can't remember who it was. There was an author who wrote about the severe goodness of God. And uh, what he was saying was that God's goodness doesn't always feel good. Uh, There are many of you in the room that have gone through God's goodness, and it was painful. Because you came to the end of yourself and you realized, oh, I really do need to deny myself and follow him. That message that I've heard all my life is actually true. And I think that's what we're praying for you. We're praying that you would experience God's goodness. But I got to tell you, church, I have been praying this for some of you, that you would experience God's severe goodness. His, His hard goodness that will lead you to him because that's the only place that we will have life.